Well, good morning again. Good to see each other here. And thanks, Brian. Did a great job. He's a little nervous about that, but uh, he did great. And I uh, appreciate our deacons so much. Uh, just um, a group of guys that just love the Lord, love this church family, and who make a, uh, do a lot, a uh, lot more than what Brian talked about. A lot of things on Sunday morning ha- happen uh, because of what they do. We want to thank them and each person who serves here at the church. Um, but I want to welcome you, uh, all of you today. If you're a guest especially, it's good to have you with us today uh, on a uh, beautiful summer morning. Uh, my favorite time of year by far. I uh, just love it uh, a lot. We're in the book of Colossians. We've been in there for a few weeks now. We're, almost, we're about halfway through, I believe, at this point, and we're going to see there's a transition, even in the middle of the message today. Uh, if, if you want to look at the book, the first half of the book, uh, chapters 1 and 2, are pretty much theological. Uh, there, there's a lot of depth in there. We've been talking about just some really deep subjects about who Jesus is and uh, this big Jesus we're talking about. But, but in, at this point, we're going to shift a little bit to very practical things. And so the rest of the study is going to talk about family and jobs and uh, you know, how do, we, how do we relate with that, getting along with people, uh, really getting uh, some really practical things uh, mixed with the theology a little bit here. Uh, so today is kind of a shift in the direction of the book of Colossians. And remind you, it was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, it was written to a church in Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey, and uh, a, a young church, and just kind of laying the basis for who Jesus really is. So we'll talk about that. Now, Apostle Paul uh, you know, he was a missionary. He traveled a lot. He traveled all over um, that, the known world at that time, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about that. You know, I've been blessed to travel to a few countries, not a ton. I'm not a world traveler a lot, but I've had a chance to get out a little bit. And I will tell you the most impactful country I ever went to was the country of Haiti. I will never forget Haiti. We went there uh, my first trip. We got in at night. We stayed in a hotel, and we left early in the morning, and I'll never forget driving through some of the, the poorest areas of Haiti, the sights, the sounds, the smells of my first morning there. It was just a little bit overwhelming and something that you just don't want to forget. But you know, every country actually has its own unique culture, uh, the sights, the sounds, the environment, everything going on. And I like to visit outside the country, uh, but there's nothing like coming back to the U.S., Nothing like it. I remember the first time I went out of the country into Mexico. We spent a week there working with a mission. And uh, I have to admit, after a week, I was really homesick. And we came back across the border. We came into Texas. And at that time, Texas had a litter, anti-litter program called Don't Mess With Texas. I don't know if you remember that or not. But I mean, I just saw that. And there was something about a litter program that just swelled up in me. I'm like, yeah, don't mess with Texas, the whole country, you know. Uh, after being out a while, it was good to see the red, white, and blue. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's great to have an awesome country to live into. But let me tell you this, as great as America is, U.S. is, uh, you and I were not created to be citizens of this country. We were created to be citizens of a higher kingdom, a, a, a nation that exists, a heavenly kingdom. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And the problem is, the tension is, is that while we were made to be citizens of heaven, we are residents of earth. And that makes it kind of, con- uh, makes it kind of complicated at times. Because the culture that we live in here is a very different culture from that of the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, many people will choose our culture today, this comfortable world we live in today, they will choose this culture over the heavenly culture. But those of us who are followers of Christ, we know 
that we are living beyond this world. We're not living for the day, and we long to be in our true home country. And I just want you to know that when you become a child of God, you literally leave or choose another culture over this one. You leave one culture for another, exchanging this world and all that is in it for God's kingdom and his world, his culture. And that really has to be a change of everything. And I would just say that if you became a follower of Christ and you've not made some changes in your life, you haven't changed culture, habits, um, heart, a lot of different things in your life, then, then maybe the chain has, change hasn't been as complete as it should have been. God wants us and calls us to a higher plane, to a different world, the kingdom of God. And so today in Colossians chapter 3, Paul's going to explain how that we are to relate to the culture around us being citizens of one kingdom, one world, but living in another, residents in another, uh, he's going to talk a little bit about that. And he begins this section, we're in Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, he begins that by assuring us that as Christians, our primary citizenship is Jesus' kingdom, not in this world. In fact, the Bible, other places, calls us pilgrims, it calls us sojourners, it calls us even aliens in a strange country. So if there are things around you in our culture that don't seem right or you're not comfortable with, if you feel like you're a stranger in some of the things that you see and hear today, there's a good reason for that. If on the other hand, you're very comfortable with everything around you and the culture, then, then again, maybe you have not made a, a really complete transition to the kingdom of God. So let's jump in. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul begins by saying that we have been raised with Christ. And there, there are two contexts that I, I think immediately about that when I think about being raised. So the first one is in baptism. The Bible says that we, when we give our life to Christ, that we die with Christ, we are buried with Christ, and we are raised with Christ. And this obviously is the visual picture of immersion in baptism, where we willingly identify with Jesus' death and his burial, and then his resurrection. We are raised with Christ. So in other words, we are brought out of our old life into another. But there's also an obvious picture here about the, the different levels, you know, between earth, which is below, and heaven, which is above, that we have been raised up to a higher plane, a higher expectation, that now our lives are to be lived on a higher plane than we've ever lived before, and therefore we should be setting our hearts and our minds on things above and not the things of below. You know, that really makes a lot of sense when you think about low thinking and high thinking. What really do you have your heart on? Where is your affection at at this point in your life? And so Paul says, set your heart and your mind on things above. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to focus to do that because the world has such a pull on my life. And my tendency is to think about the things that I see and experience, to think about people, about objects, about money, uh, about earthly things. They're in front of us all the day. We're bombarded with them, and we really have to be intentional. And that's what he's talking about, this strategy, an intentional strategy of focusing on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Another way to say that, the Bible says that we are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. That we're to be transformed, and that requires renewing our minds. We have to make sure that while we live in one culture, 
that another one is where our heart is. You know, our son Kyle and his wife Ashley are, are here today. They'll be in, I think, second service. And they've been living internationally in South Korea for about four years, and they're moving to Hong Kong. But their citizenship and their interest and their uh, loyalty as citizens is in the U.S. Now, they keep up with U.S. events when we talk politics. It's always U.S. politics, not South Korean. Whenever we talk about news and family and friends, they talk about here in the country because this is where their citizenship and their hearts are. But even beyond their U.S. ties, they live in a foreign country and their heart as Christians and somewhat missionary teachers are to urge people to get to another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And you know what? You don't have to live in another country to have that same identity yourself because all of us live in a foreign nation, a wonderful place to live, the best place on earth, I believe. However, our heart and our focus is somewhere else and we need to be directing and focusing other people there as well. So all of our energy, all of our thoughts, our love, our ambition, our planning should be on things above, on other things. Now, how do we do that? How do we live in a world that's so tangible and, and yet direct our thoughts to that which is abstract? Here's what Paul says. You have died to the old world, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, you and I may appear to be citizens of this world, but one day there will be no mistake as to who we are, where our loyalty lies, and who we belong to. But meanwhile, we are to be faithful. While we're here, we are to be faithful, occupy, and build a little heaven here on this earth as much as possible, serving our master and king. And I believe that the kingdom of God that we kind of built here uh, is kind of focused on the church. The body of Christ here is the visible manifestation of the kingdom that we are to live in. Now, is the church perfect? Absolutely not. But it's our goal to make it as much like the kingdom of God as we possibly can. So it's important to see that we don't just wait until we die to experience the kingdom life. The kingdom life actually begins at the moment that we give our lives to Jesus Christ, and we need to immediately start seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, uh, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that means that we seek to live out the kingdom life here, that we study to know what the kingdom life is like, that we uh, build a community with other, kingdom, other citizens of the kingdom so that we have connections and so that we love each other, know each other, and we encourage each other. That means also that we don't determine what we think is right and then ask God to bless it Instead, we seek and find what God says is right, and then we try to live it. It means that we try to put aside the world that pulls at us and distracts us. We don't live the way we used to live. We also don't compartmentalize things by saying, well, this is my, uh, my belief system or my belief section, and everywhere else is where I live real life. I don't just go live kingdom life on Sunday morning. I live kingdom life on Monday through Saturday as well. So we can't separate those things. Everything we do has to be flavored by the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is what we're longing for. And when the Bible describes that, it is an awesome place with no sin, no shame, no pain, no guilt, suffering, only complete harmony and unity and peace, everything wonderful. And we need to live with that being our goal and our thought. But that is not our current reality, is it? It's not my current reality. It probably isn't yours as well. 
But we have to live with that as our vision and our goal. You know, when you envision things and you start dreaming things, that's where you probably are going to end up at. The things that you envision, the things you focus on, the things that you pursue are oftentimes the thing you, things you become. You know, we, we've all heard, and I don't want to get too deep in this, but we've all heard the idea that if we, we, if we shoot low, we probably are going to hit low. If we aim high, we're probably going to accomplish more. I mean, in, in sports, whatever it may be. The dreams that we chase, the practices that we are committed to, the habits and disciplines that we take on, the new way of thinking that we assume, that is what we are more than likely going to become. And that's what Paul's talking about when he's saying that we need to leave behind the things that are below, that are below and aim for that which is above. And none of us are there, but the pursuit that we have is to be the person God wants us to be, the citizen of heaven. Now here, here at Journey, we kind of look at it in four steps. We call it uh, begin, believe, belong, become. We believe it is a journey that everyone begins at some point as a seeker to try to discern, decide who is Jesus. And then hopefully at some point they'll determine that he is the son of God and they will believe in Christ, cross the line of salvation, they'll be a believer and then understand that next God calls us to serve him as a worker or belonging to the body of Christ. And then at some point, hopefully, we're becoming more and more what God wants us to be, and we become not only disciples of Christ, but also disciples who are making disciples as well. And so that's kind of the journey as we see it. We want to help you move along the journey from the person that you used to be, the old person, to the person that God made you and God intended for you to be, and the person that you will one day be into heaven. You know, I just like this idea of thinking, and we know that we're never going to be perfect here, but isn't it a process of becoming more like Christ, becoming more perfect until finally when we get to heaven, we just complete that part that we've been longing for and moving toward all of our life. This earth is just practice. And I remember the old song when I was growing up says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Wouldn't it be great if we could just live life with that idea? This world is not my home. It's a great place to live presently and to be a resident of, but I'm looking forward to an eternal home. And everything I do is preparing for that, laying up treasures in heaven, becoming more like Christ, loving my church family more, so that heaven becomes more real each day of my life. And then Paul, I told you that we're going to kind of transition to the practical. Paul addresses one of the biggest issues in our lives. And you didn't see this coming, I promise, because I didn't until I was reading, studying this. Paul's going to talk about a practical issue of our life that that holds us down and pulls us back and makes us very carnal, and that is sex. He's going to talk about sex right in the middle of theology. So you didn't see it coming, did you? All right, here he talks about immediately into sex in the kingdom of God. Here's what he says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Now, of all the sins that Paul could choose, he, he talks about the carnal sins. He talks about the sexual sins here. And he talks about the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and a lust for more and more. Because that's the carnal nature that we all live in. And you know, when you think about it, our world truly is there. Our world is accepting it's tolerant, perverted, confused, and proud of it. Celebrating, and not just celebrating, but staging parades that publicly fought sexual sin. 
You know, we just uh, finished, or we didn't finish, but I guess in some places, the Pride Month. And you know, pride now used to not, pride used to be a good thing, but now pride has been kind of hijacked along with the rainbow uh, to, to talk about sexuality. And, and so parades are held to celebrate any number of sexual perversities, not just homosexuality, but all sorts. And that's what the world is like today. This is the world we live in. And I hope you're uncomfortable with that. Paul says that these things are not only sin, but they're idolatry. And, and he is so accurate, so relevant for our current culture. Now, what is idolatry? Idolatry is worshiping anything rather than God. Worshiping anything with our time, with our money, with our possessions. The things that God longs for us to give to him to show our loyalty and our our love for him, when we take those things and we turn them to something else, that's idolatry. I think idolatry is one of those things that we see in the life of others, but we don't usually see it in our own lives. And when we see it in the lives of others, we think they're crazy, but we don't see it in our own idolatry. Back in the Bible, you would see them create something out of stone or wood, the statue of their god of Baal or Ashroth or something like that. They would bow down and worship these. They would cut themselves and dance around them and worship. They would offer their children and throw them into a fire to, the, to appease this idol. That, we say that is crazy, right? In our modern world, uh, I'll go back to Haiti again, uh, voodoo is the, one of the major religions there, and it's mixed up with about every other religion as well. But in one of those areas, they, uh, in Ansafalours, which is a city in northern Haiti, uh, they have a baby doll, uh, worship a baby doll named St. Anne. And they worship this this doll and it's kind of a voodoo type thing and uh, praying and hoping that that doll will bring curses on someone else. We look at those things and we say that is crazy that people would believe in that. That's crazy that people would have a temple for that, that people would bring sacrifices and, and they would go and they actually live around that temple and they worship, they give their money and their time and their passion toward that. We say that is just so ridiculous. But here in the U.S., we have our own idols, don't we? We have, our own, we have a TV show, American Idol, and I, I kind of like the show to watch it, but, but the whole concept of it is, is that we're creating people, and we're raising up people, raising up celebrities, people who have never done anything in their lives, but, but we, have, we read about them, we buy magazines about them, we, can't hit, you know, we listen to their lives, and pathetic lives that are poured out for attention, seemingly. Uh, what about athletes, people who are gifted, but they become an idol that, that other people worship? We pay them millions of dollars. What about sports, the things that, you know, sometimes occupy our time and our energy and the sacrifices that become our idol or leisure or money or people or any other thing? It's so easy to have idols in America, the things that we put up that we give our time, money, and passions toward. Let me ask you this, what do you love in your life that could be an idol? What do you love that is equal to or sometimes even put above God? And some of us would say, well, nothing, I would never do that. I would never have an idol in my life. But I want to tell you something, how you spend your time and your money will reveal what your idol is. And all of us have it, things that we spend more money on than we should, more time on than we should. And in many cases, the things that we would give more time and money to than we would to God. Amen. And that is what makes an idol in your life. And so if you want to find out, look at your calendar and your checkbook. It'll pretty quickly reveal the things that could compete with God in your lives. 
And so Paul says, because of these things, we have to be very careful because at some point, God may actually give up on us and let us have our idol. Romans chapter 1 says, therefore, God gave them over the sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. There comes a point where God says, if you want that idol, that's your goal, then you can have it. And the reason why Paul's talking about it is that sexuality can become our idol. It can become the purpose for life. Premarital sex, living together, extramarital sex, homosexuality, transgenderism, flaunting and defending it. Even sometimes Christians do that in a way to say that we show love, but true love is, is truth, honesty. See, our culture is trying to convince us that all these are acceptable lifestyles and that it doesn't matter how we behave. Let me give you an example, and I want to clarify uh, two things. Number one, I do not watch a lot of TV, uh, but it is on every now and then and uh, kind of clicks over to it. The other thing is I do not watch the show, all right, but I do read the news. And so I was reading an article in 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 the news about The Bachelorette. So I know this is going to cut deep, right? Because it's a pretty common show there. And uh, some of you are probably watching it. You're giggling uneasily right now. Um, but you know that right now the current series, is a, there's a young lady there, the bachelorette named Hannah Brown. And Hannah's made a kind of a big deal about being a Christian there. And you also know, and I'm sure this is no accident, that one of the other candidates, one of the candidates, one of the, the guys, his name's Luke Parker. And Luke is also a Christian. And he admits um, in his profile that he was once very sexually active in college as even as a Christian but he became convicted of that sin he repented and taken on a vow of second virginity and is really open about that if you follow that show so you're looking at me like I have no idea what you're talking about Randy but many of you do all right many of you do all right so at any rate in this conversation as they were together they they have a conversation about sex and Luke says to Hannah I am not okay with you having sex with the other guys on this show I'm not okay about that. In fact, if you do that, then I want to go home, which was a pretty bold stand to take on a show like that. But if you know that she, he said that, you also know her response probably. She is outraged with him. And here's what she said. I've had sex and Jesus still loves me. I can do whatever I want. I, am de- I sin daily and Jesus still loves me. It's all washed and if the Lord doesn't judge me and it's all forgiven, though no man or woman can judge me. And she had a few more choice words with him, and then she flips him off as he leaves. Um, Guys, that's not the way to choose a spouse. I don't know. I hope that isn't the model that our world's going to. Like, let's try have our own bachelor show. Uh, That's not the way to do it. And that is not kingdom living either. That is not kingdom practice. That is not how we're, we're called to live. But the Bible says that whatever we offer our bodies to, we worship him. Whatever we offer ourselves to, we worship that. And so the solution that Paul says is this. You put to death the earthly nature. You have to kill it because you can't control it. You can't limit it. You can't cage it. What we don't want to do is we don't really want to uh, kill the the earthly nature. We want to sideline it. We want to set it back in the back somewhere because we think we can handle it. We think we can control that. But if we allow sin to remain in our life, it will likely come back to life again, even if we try to kill it and overtake us. 
We can't just sideline it because sin comes back and sin feels good. It's fun. That's why we keep doing it because it has its own reward at the moment. But we have to kill it. We've all lived like this in the past, Paul says, but we have to kill that sin in our lives. And if you know, and you do know, what that sin is, what that temptation, what that struggle is, you have to kill it in your life, whether it's sex, whether, whatever it may be. Because Paul says the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. God is holy. And here's the gospel. Our sin breaks our relationship with God. And God is a God of justice. So someone has to pay the debt of sin. It can't just be ignored. And God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world and to absorb the wrath of God. God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus and diverted away from us. He paid for us what we could not pay ourselves, what we rightfully should have, but we couldn't. And because he paid for us, we're pardoned through Christ. And those who are in Christ have received that pardon and that forgiveness. But those who never accept Christ will one day have to suffer the wrath of God themselves in eternal hell. At the cross, we see the wrath of God poured out on his son Jesus. And we see the love and the mercy and the patience of God diverted from us onto him. And right now, what's happening is our world is experiencing the passive wrath of God. And by passive wrath, what I mean is that God is just letting us do what we want. He is letting us determine our choice as free will. But one day, God's passive wrath will become his active wrath. And God will step back into our world and he will bring judgment and eternal consequences to those who reject the pardon that he's offered to them. Now, his patience is long. I've got to be honest, his patience is so much longer than mine. So many times, and I'm sure he feels the same way about me, but I see it in others, right? So many times I say, God, why? How could you be so patient? How could you let this sin be flaunted? How could you let people spit in your face and mock you, God? How long can you do that? But God continues to have, he has a lot of patience and passive wrath. And one day, it will be released. You know, I think a lot of people feel like that they're getting away with sin, but in reality, the Bible says what we're doing is we're storing up the wrath of God against us. We're storing it up. And one day, it's going to fall. And the Bible tells us that hell is the ultimate expression of God's wrath and justice. And we can't just do whatever we want and excuse ourselves and assume that God's going to just keep forgiving us over and over again when we know what's right. We take his grace for granted and we abuse his patience. And we have to understand that. So as Christians, we have to take our sin seriously. And, and we have to be living in a way that his kingdom will come and his will would be done not only in heaven but on earth as well. And obviously we can't change everything around us in our world. I think the Bible even predicts that as the world continues on and get closer to the second coming, the world will get worse. We can't change the entire world, but we can change ours. And we can start living out the kingdom in our lives. In our lives, in the area of sexuality, in the kingdom of God, boyfriends and girlfriends are not going to rent an apartment together. They're not going to be having sex with one another. They're not going to have a young woman who has unplanned pregnancy will not have an abortion. Spouses will not be having affairs, even emotional affairs with other people. A man will never marry a man. A woman will never marry a woman and they will never change their gender. They will never pursue sports over God or hobbies 
or money or career or anything else. And we will not neglect to show mercy and justice to those who are in need. That's what kingdom living looks like. And that's what God's calling us to do. Now you have to wonder why Paul, in the middle of this kingdom citizenship conversation, why does Paul talk about sex when he talks about kingdom living? Because sexual sin is especially pervasive in our world, but it's also different from other sin. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You sin against your own body. I was reading an article that, that science actually confirms exactly how sexual sin, sin is, is against us and how it harms us. It actually affects and damages in some way our brain. Whether it be premarital sex, adultery, or viewing pornography, sexual sin alters our brain function, and when we indulge in it repeatedly, can lead to, lead to what the Bible calls a seared conscience, which is an actual brain phenomenon that numbs us to guilt and conviction of our wrongdoing. It numbs us. And it hurts us in that way. Not only that, sex is designed to be a bonding agent to connect a husband and wife together. And if an individual bonds themselves to someone with no commitment and then pulls that back or, or rips that, that bonding back and then to another and another, the bonding wears off at some point and you carry a little bit of that person, every person with you until it makes it difficult to bond to anyone. It leaves scars on the soul. Now, I know that paints a pretty sad picture, especially for those who maybe had that in their history. But let me tell you this, that can be healed and restored. Because we have a God who can restore everything. But how much better would it be to prevent it from happening to start with and being a problem? Now, on the other hand, sex and marriage is a healthy thing and necessary for oneness. When a husband and wife stop having intimacy with one another, it leaves the door open for Satan to divide them and to lead them into someone else's arms. And we've all seen that story, have many times. So God says this is a precious thing. And living in a kingdom world in a practical way, you need to live this out faithfully. Take it seriously. And then lastly, Paul takes a look at relationships in Jesus' kingdom. He's going to talk more about relationships next week. But let's wrap this up, this section, eight, verses 8 through 11. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know what? This description is a very accurate way to describe our culture today. Anger, rage, indignation, slander, filthy language, lies, slander. You know, all those things are just thrown about everywhere. But this is not how a kingdom citizen talks or lives. The Bible says that we are called to live on a higher plane, to represent our king, and to be ambassadors for Christ. He talks once again about dying to the old self and to put on the new self. You know, the old self that we have is controlled by emotions. If we get angry, man, we react no matter what. We do whatever we're thinking at the moment. It has no will, has no control. We live like everybody around us. But when we become a Christian, we put off the old and we put on the new. And the new does have a will. It does have a sense of control. We're not controlled by emotions. We're controlled by the Spirit. 
We use knowledge and wisdom in our responses. And so Paul says you have to take off the old and discard it. Just like I was watching some of the athletes and they're drafted. I'm not a big sports fan either, but I was watching that and the athlete would take off. They take one jersey off, they put another on because they got a new team now. No longer are they loyal. Do they play for the old team? They are called to not only play for a new team, but to dress like that team as well, to dress ourselves in righteousness as we put on Christ, who's our new identity. So if you are a Christian, something new has happened in you, and now you must live that out. Your team has changed. So make sure that your life now reflects it and clothe yourself in Christ. Now he is your identity. The Bible says that he is all and he is in all. And you know what? Who we are really determines what we do. It really does. When you know who you are, you will know what you're called to do. And knowing our identity in Christ is going to bring not only an awareness of who we are, but of who the body is. It's going to bring unity. Christ in all, and Christ is all, and Christ is in all. And in Christ, we can all come together. We can drop our differences. That's what the last description was about. No slave or free, Jew or Gentile. We can drop our differences and we can change our culture to become more like kingdom culture. And that has a lot of implications that we could spend a lot of time talking about, but we're out of time, basically. And our goal, though, is to make down here as much as possible like up there. And that's what the church is supposed to be. And when the church is like that, it's going to be attractive to a lost and confused and dying culture. That's the goal that we have. And so I, I would hope today that from this, you would start thinking a higher plane. When, when the carnal thoughts and the culture thoughts come into your mind, that you would die to those things. You would put them aside and start focusing on new and feeding yourself with, with um, concepts and teachings of a higher plane of Jesus. Get into the Word of God. Uh, if you bring garbage into your life, garbage is going to come back out. If you have truth in, truth is going to come out. And so knowing that you're a citizen of a higher kingdom can make a huge impact on how you speak, what you think, what you do, every part of your life. Now, if this sounds like the kind of life that you would choose, then, then I would love to talk to you about that. Anytime, you can just contact me. We can sit down, just have a conversation about what God is telling you, what, what the changes that are happening in your life, decisions you'd like to make. I'd love to have that conversation with you as God changes your heart. Right now, we're going to go to a time where we see uh, what I mentioned a few moments ago, where the, the justice of God, the wrath of God, and the love of God, where they converge. And really, it's at the cross of Jesus, where God's wrath was poured out upon his son, but his mercy and peace flows to us. And so as we go to this time of communion just now, we want to invite you, if you are a believer, uh, to come to the table. It's the Lord's table that he's, that he's set, and, and you're invited to come and to partake of these. And our tradition is that we walk forward and, and take that and, and then return back to your seat. If you are not able to come forward, you'd rather to do it where you are. Just, someone can just raise your hand. Someone will bring it to you. But this is the time where we really see uh, the amazing love of God. And I wanted to read uh, by way of just introduction and, and preparation for that. I wanted to read from Matthew chapter 26 because these are the actual verses that that caused Jesus to, to institute this, what we call the Lord's Supper today. It says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine until now, from now on until that day 
when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus gave it to them and said, I want you to drink it, but one day we will share it together. Where? In the kingdom, in the Father's kingdom. And that's what we long for today. And this is kind of a foreshadowing, a tasting of kingdom life just to experience these moments and to imagine and anticipate when we will sit with our Savior and our Lord and our Father in His kingdom, ultimately His kingdom, and we will share in this time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these symbols that we're about to share. God, we know that in and of themselves, there's just simple items, but when we recognize them, God, when we uh, place upon them a focus of representing the body and the blood of Jesus, they, they come to life. And Lord, I pray that as we partake of these, we would not uh, be distracted. I pray that it would not be a habit. It would not be routine. But Lord, it would be a, a feast for us, a reminder, uh, a foreshadowing, and uh, just looking forward to the time that we will be with you forever and the completed kingdom uh, will share in this meal, Lord. Until then, Father, we thank you for your invitation, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.